Authenticity, curiosity, intimacy. These are important for success in your personal life, but they are also the foundations of a new mindset leading to true success, fulfillment, and happiness in business. A New Business Mindset is a series of conversations with business leaders in which they share the importance of real business relationships founded and based upon authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy. It is a show in which we learn how to cultivate a new business mindset and become more successful, fulfilled, and happy in our own careers. And now, here are your hosts. And welcome once again to the show. This is Gareth Young, your host. I'm delighted to be here with Todd, Todd Schnick, all the way from Chicago. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, my friend. Uh, As always, good to spend some time with you. And likewise, and likewise. This is going to be another fun conversation today. I suspect so. I suspect it's going to be just uh, a complete last. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before we immerse ourselves in that, let's uh, reflect for a minute on our conversation with Greg Clay from last week. Yeah, neat guy. Uh, It was a fun conversation. You know, we've all participated in endless conversations about the importance of having candid conversations and engaging yeah. with people and and having a relationship-based approach to business and life and all that. We all say that. Most people don't actually do that. Greg is one of those guys, I think, where he has sincerely built a life about those principles and and it's affecting how he does his business in a positive way. And he's also a candidate for local office. And I think that's going to be a very refreshing approach yeah. to his uh, his candidacy and, and ultimately if he's elected to how he serves his constituents. And so uh, it was a great conversation. And, you know, the, the obvious thing that we also talked about was the importance of people engaging in their local politics. Most right. people don't. They don't pay attention to it. And that's a shame. So that was an inspiring conversation on that front as well. I thought it was great. And I, I've been around Greg enough to know those conversations and those discussions. He really does do that stuff. Yeah. It's great work. And delighted to welcome to the studio today somebody who I didn't realize uh, until after I'd spoken with Greg is a good personal friend of Greg's, which is great. Jay Bailey. Jay is a serial entrepreneur, I guess, by one of a <laughs> description and a, um, quite an illustrious one too. He's been recognized by three U.S. presidents for his leadership and community efforts, serves on uh, quite a long list here of uh, Boards, including the Metro Atlanta Chamber, the Atlanta Beltline TAD Advisory Committee, all around a very impressive and wonderful man. And I'm delighted to welcome Jay Bailey to the studio. Jay. Oh, I'm honored to be here. And uh, yeah, Greg Clay is one of my closest friends. He actually was in my wedding. We're that close. I consider him a brother and everything that you guys said in the recap was true. Yeah. Good man. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your wisdom as well, Greg. Uh, Jay. Oh, it happens. Don't know. <laughs> Greg, Jay. I'd be, I'd be honored to be called brothers. Greg Clay. Yeah, there you go. So start off by telling us about Build As We Climb, your <clears throat> motto as a change agent, and uh, what you see your life as being about. It's a mantra that I've, I've developed over time. There's this pervasive logic and even a parable, if you will, about reaching back to help people up. Mm-hmm. I think it works. I think it's necessary. I think it's noble. But I got to be present to reach down and pull somebody up. Right. If I built a staircase, years after I'm gone, the people will be able to go up those stairs and reach the pinnacle. I'm a firm believer that you have to plant seeds that will grow trees whose shade we shall never sit under. Yeah. And so Build As We Climb was built out of that methodology. Rather than just helping the next person, let's build an infrastructure. Let's build a system. Let's build actual stairs that will allow multitudes of people for generations to get over the wall. And that's, uh, you, I guess, you're engaged in that work at Phoenix Leadership? 
I am constantly battling between head and heart. Heart is where we have to affect and impact the community. But my head also realizes the leverage that capital brings to the table. Actually, it's your seat at the table. So a fine balance between the two. I think that's a balance that uh, most people struggle to find and most of us fail. It's really easy, too easy to end up either too much in heart or too much in head. Absolutely. Let's jump right in with a tough question. How do you help people find that balance and stay <laughs> in that place of balance? You know, I'm, um, I'm still finding that balance. The it's a quick, constant struggle, right? It's, oh, that's a lifelong struggle and that's a good thing though, right? And I, I hope that I'm always struggling at it. If I'm ever at a point where I feel that I have, my job is done, then at that point, I will probably be dead. The short story, and I don't know if we'll get into it later, of, of kind of my trajectory. Yeah. As you as you coined a serial entrepreneur, I was always an enterprising kid. I'm the kind of guy that started my first business at 12, uh, bought my first house at 19, made my first million by the time I was 26. But life took a turn, and I found myself living in a nine-by-nine nine storage facility, right. homeless, by the age of 28. But by the time I was 32, 33, 34, and on beyond, I was helping build and run a global nonprofit organization in 52 countries. About a year and a half ago, I found myself on the 40th floor of one of the greatest buildings in the downtown Atlanta skyline. We had grown an organization from me being in the sub-basement of a building with no windows and a half a cubicle and a broken cell phone to being a regional organization growing from one person to 27 offices with global reach, that office became the headquarters for the global organization. But I wanted to do more. I looked out of my window and I could see from the south side of town to the north side of town. And even personally for me, in the city that I was from, Atlanta, Georgia, kids that looked like me, that grew up in the same environment as me, were graduating at a rate of 37%. And I saw that as an extinction level event. But I also saw that coupled with there weren't a whole lot of people that looked like me that owned or controlled any of the things that I saw in that skyline. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about that balance of head and heart, there's an economic component that must not be overlooked when you're talking about making change. Right. And I think far too often we miss one of those components. Right. Far too much aspiration, not enough capitalization. And without both, you know, it's, it's even in our city, city of Atlanta, We've had nearly 50 years of leaders that look just like me. But even with that, we still find ourselves in situations of abject poverty, sweeping differences when you're talking about wealth, when you're talking about income disparity, all exist. And I think it's because of that balance that isn't there. So I've committed myself through the Phoenix Leadership Foundation to commit to my heart where my heart lies. And we boiled down our mission statement and we'll probably get into it uh, further in the interview, but our mission statement, we lost all the flowery language. We lost all the sentence structure and the poetry that nonprofits do. We are this, therefore, that. And it's one word. It's exposure. Because I think at the heart of poverty is a lack of exposure. The greatest contributing factor to poverty and a poverty mindset is a lack of exposure. And when we talk about where young people derive their self-esteem and their self-confidence, it's all based on what they see. All of us are a product of role models. We saw something that allowed us to aspire, allowed us to dream, allowed us to see a future for ourselves that we could see in someone else. But if you live your entire existence in a 10-square block area, and that 10-square block area is impoverished, depressed, economically challenged, not a whole lot of role models, not a whole lot of exposure, how do those kids dream? What do they dream of? What do they see? And I wanted to change that dynamic. 
I wanted to change that narrative. But at the same time, where the head comes in is that I want to give them an example of what something else could look like. Right. We've got enough well-spoken leaders. We need some wealthy ones. We need someone to go in to say that, yes, we can do better. But I'm also going to show you how I did. Now, how I could or how it should be, but how I did. And, you know, <laughs> to coin a phrase from a former employer, PhDs are good, but PhDs are better. <laughs> and um, I kind of subscribe to that. I want to jump back to how you actually initiated this conversation when you said that you had developed a mantra. And I don't want to dive into what your mantra means to you and how you developed it. I want to talk about the fact that most people listening, they've never developed a mantra. They probably don't even know what we're talking about when you say that. I think that is a tactic, if you will. I don't know if that's the right word to use, sure. but you understand the context with which I'm using it. I think most people listening could benefit from developing a mantra and, and, and then how that becomes a guiding force. Can you talk about that actual process of, of how you develop that and, and why it has such an impact and what you do? It comes out of a place of loss. You're talking about a guy that was very involved in college and president of my fraternity and had all of these positive things happening for me. Unfortunately, lost my mother at a young age. However, when I found myself pulling the string on the light bulb in that nine by nine storage unit, you've got a lot of time to think. And you know, when you're laying on your back, and this is one of the perspectives most people don't get. I would venture to guess that you have never truly seen the sun unless you've been laying flat on your back. Looking up is a luxury and an option when you're walking upright. When you're flat on your back, all you have to do is look up. So part of mine is looking at um, when I'm there and I'm spending nights in a storage unit and trying to figure out how the hell did I get here? We're talking about a guy that had 10,000 square foot homes and multiple cars. How did I get here? And it was there that I re had the deep realization that I had been successful by the world standards, the cars, the clothes, and all that other stuff. But I had zero significance. I had done nothing to put a dent in this world. I had, um, would spend certain <laughs> unheard of amounts of money in clubs and restaurants in just frivolous ways. But over the course of my life, I've lost so many people. But there wasn't a scholarship even in my mom's name. So yeah, after I realized this whole concept of significance, when I was laying on my back, that construct of significance became my foundation. I started to build on everything that I did had to have significance, had to have lasting impact. And from that need to create things that were lasting, from that need to create a foundation that others could build upon, from that need to be significant and to do something for those outside of myself, you derive a mantra that you live by. And in this case, it's build as we climb. Because now at this point, I wish I had someone that actually showed me the staircase to get where I wanted to go. And I think the model of reaching down and grabbing someone up is transactional. I can maybe do that once, or I may be able to do that five times, or maybe a hundred times. But at some point, my lifespan is finite, and I will leave this place. Who's going to be the person to reach down to grab those people who need to come up again? So it was born out of a place of loss. It was born out of a place of lack. It was born out of having enough time to slow down because <laughs> you're not nothing else going on to rebuild, to retool, to rewire, to reevaluate and figure out how you're going to move forward, even in a state of utter depression, even in a state of poverty, to find that inner core that says to you, OK, first step. And at that point, you can see the staircase starting to develop. It's a beautiful story, Jay. 
and this is not to trivialize the place of loss and living in um, the storage unit, quite the opposite. When you're in that place, if somebody who's had cancer, we had a guest recently who was uh, uh, recovering from cancer when she had her recognition of, you know, there's more to life. Those deep, dark places are places where we can have reflection and it makes sense to our listeners that from that place you can see what you're missing and find significance and find a path forward. In some sense, that comfortable middle-class life or that even that comfortable, very successful life where you've got the 10,000-square-foot homes and all the cars and everything can be a place which has such allure that it's really hard to see it from within that place. Oh, absolutely. So how can our listeners, how can we all uh, keep our eye on that lack of significance and really focus on significance as a guiding light? You know, one of the first questions I usually ask people when we get time to just sit down and talk, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I'm um, increasingly terrified by is the speed of information. And one of the things that we see degrading daily is interpersonal communication. Mm -hmm. People are actually sitting down and taking time to say, how are you doing? Where are you from? What's going on? But a question I often ask is, what are you passionate about? Right. Everybody needs an answer. And I think for those listening, if they ask themselves that question by themselves in an empty room and they look in the mirror and they don't have an answer, then they need to start building that staircase. All of us should have something outside of what we do daily that makes our heart pump, that makes our eyes well up, that makes the skin or the hair on the back of our neck stand up that thing that we are ultimately passionate about. And for many people, it's their kids. And, you know, I have 100% support of that. One of the greatest things you can do to change the world is to grow amazing kids and raise amazing kids. But sometimes it goes beyond that. And sometimes, yeah, kids can be the easy choice. It's the default choice. I think it is. I think people need something more than that. (laughs) Sure. And and so I don't ever want to discount the role and the place of that, but it is a bit of a default. And not to say raising amazing kids is an easy thing at all, but beyond the children, maybe even the thing that you can help expose your children to this passion as a part of your role as a parent. It's that question in the dark. It's the darkness that I asked myself that very same question. And I had a very definitive answer, but I had to get to that point and I had to slow down enough to realize that there was a void that money couldn't fill. We've all heard the cliche about money can't buy happiness and the retorts about, well, yeah, but I'd rather have it than not and all of these different things. But at the core, we are spiritual beings having a spiritual experience and that spirit needs to be fed and that can't be fed by dollars. And with that, it's finding that thing that outlasts you more than inheritance, more than beneficiaries of an insurance policy or wealth. What is that thing that you can contribute, the energy that you can put out that will feed this universe and this ecosystem and people far beyond your time on this planet? And if you take the time to zone in and to hone in on what that is, it becomes magnetic. I mean, it becomes a real draw. It becomes like the matrix. When all the the lines start to line up, you start to see that here's where, (laughs) case in point, For the busy executive that says, I just don't have time. When you find that space, the time appears. You start to see openings. You start to see opportunities. You start to see ways that you can rearrange your schedule to make this happen. And 
you know, again, back to that default, that same busy executive didn't have kids at some point. Once they had kids, they found time to make sure that that kid was taken care of. I think passion takes that same place. When you find your it, when you find your why, the what and the where and the how become or become and they appear and you start to follow that, that why and your why is really where you start to develop purpose for your life. Yeah. We'll stay on this one for a while because another easy one that people say, oh, it's golf. It can be anything, right? But I can really understand how people can enjoy golf enormously. And there's, uh, th- there's lots there. You know, it's green, it's outdoors, and being in green spaces is really uh, nourishing. There's that moment where every now and again you strike the ball just right and there's that no-self moment. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. a lot, there's a lot you can talk about in there, but that is passion. This is a lot of where I think you're taking us. In the same way, Todd, I think you're right. Children, you love your kids. You want the best for your kids. You're really engaged in their life. But it's that taking time that you're talking about, Jay, I think. I mean, to really allow yourself to settle in and find passion. Well, I think your golf analogy or example is is true. I mean, it's evidence of a precursor of the need and the lack. Yeah, That person is saying, I just need to get away for a while to focus on the green and this ball. And there comes a moment where this swing is so natural that I hit the sweet spot. And anybody that plays golf knows when you're in that groove and it doesn't matter. Right. Wherever you swing, you're hitting that ball right in the sweet spot. And it's going exactly where you want to go. That zone that you're in, athletes know it, entertainers know it, right. academics know it. When you're in that zone, you know that there's a place of higher consciousness yes. that you long for. Yes. Well, in my opinion, that's the precursor to passion. When you're talking about this higher consciousness that draws you to it, and that golfer will go out to the driving range, play as much as he or she can to get back into that space. I think at that point, you transpose golf or whatever that passion is, and they'll go after it the same way once they find it, though. See, I think the key there, what you just said, is that, uh, you know, you cited the usual examples. You would, you can envision LeBron James getting into the zone. People, most people think, I, there's nothing in my life that I can get in the zone like that. They're wrong. Yes. They haven't found the passion. Because you get into that zone when you're doing something that you care about, right? Right. And it's there all the time. Yes. It's not like you just get it for five minutes, you know, when you're uh, in the zone on the course. One of my favorite movies is The Legend of Bagger Vans. Yeah. And his caddy talks about finding your true, authentic swing. And the movie is so brilliant that he's not talking about golf. And all of us need to find that true, authentic swing. And like you said, I mean, you can, you can wrap it up in a number of different things. And where people say that, well, I'm not LeBron James and I'm not Tiger Woods. But Jay Bailey has a true, authentic swing. And when I'm lining up and I'm doing everything right, there's nothing better than that feeling. Right. And wherever I want to go, wherever I want to place my ball, it's going to land there because now I got the confidence. I got the belief. I've zoned in and honed in and taken the quiet time to feel. And that's the piece there. You start talking about feeling, and that's a whole other conversation where you leave physical touch and you talk about true feel. That's the place where passion lies. And that's the place where passionate people also carry a very heavy burden because it is it is a compelling thing when that true authentic swing is understood by you many people lose their way because then they become absolutely compulsive right. to getting into that space and that can have negative byproduct the negative impact and how do you manage that was the first question right. the head and the heart 
That's right. And how do you bring yourself out of the heart and inject some head? And how does the head not overthink things and allow the heart to lead sometimes? But at the core of how to balance that out, brother, there's a book to be written about the secret of life. When the person finds that perfect balance and how to control it, how to measure it, how to call on it, how to engineer it, that book hasn't been written yet. Because I'm not sure if there's anybody that's ever accomplished it in a perfect way. And if they have, you know, it's, it's, that is a higher calling in existence that uh, I certainly aspire to. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The, the, the key to this is that you're going to shank some shots. Absolutely. And that's all right. It's going to happen. And, and to pull the other lesson that I think is really key that we really haven't dove into today is slowing down. And if you just allow yourself to slow down, kind of get back into it, do a little self-reflection, boy, that's when the, the authentic swing will come back to. And the beautiful piece about that is you don't have to add anything to your person. Your first day walking out on that golf course and never swung at a ball in your life. You have everything that you need in your body to get to that point where you have your perfect swing. You don't add any limbs. You don't add any nutrients. It is slowing down, identifying the proper path, practicing that path. And that's where you go. You always had it in you before you picked up the first club. That's the part that's kind of deep as you bring that up. You always had it in you. You just yeah. had to find it. There's one other edge on this I'd like to explore, which is the intersection with relationship and with other people. Golf is you and the ball. I think that I, I can see a passion, which is purely objective like that, mm -hmm. but I think the kind of passion we're talking about here usually has some element of service, some element of engagement with other people involved. Oh, absolutely. I think... On a surface level, we all know that we're if, we're if we're golfing with a group of very good golfers, a lot of times your game elevates because of the light company that you're in. But then also, I mean, the byproduct of when we juxtapose the golf game as the, as the metaphor here, and you're talking about service, that's the deal. That is where you're bringing people along. along. That is to build as you climb. That is my passion not only helps others, but it also draws others to me. Mm -hmm. That's why crowds develop at the Masters. They want to watch people that are in their zone, and they will drive four miles, fly across continents to be there to simply watch somebody. I never really thought about it that way. Mm. But it's somewhat profound. See, this is why you interact with people. No, that's <laughs> it. It's exactly it. So they will fly for miles at great expense simply to watch somebody that's in their zone. To be there with that person when they're in, in their zone. zone. Yeah. And I think that applies, you could put that across the platform. Any of our great leaders, any of our great faith leaders, people have been drawn to them because they found their authentic swing. Yeah. And then from that drawing together, community is built, uh, critical mass is built, a wave is built, movements are built from that person being in their zone with their true authentic swing. And boy, have we taken this golf analogy and this metaphor <laughs> way out. Well, I'm going to take it. I'm going to extend but, it even further. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but it's kind of fun. I'm like thinking deeply now. Like, the, other, the other reason people watch the Masters is to see the person who they think has the authentic swing shank one into the water. Oh, absolutely. And and the absolutely. The, the humanity you see on that and, yes, the, and the and the bond that you feel. And then, then, the, then you revel even further when they come out of it and do well again. Yeah, I mean, it's. I see myself in you because you too, even the best in the world, sometimes shank. And guess what? Sometimes they hook it. Sometimes they take a dive in the in the drink. So do I. And that kind of gives me a bit of hope 
and a bit of faith that my greatest self is possible. I mean, all of this is very, very deep thinking, and you might spend the day just thinking, but that's true. It humanizes perfection. Right. And uh, we are so writing a sequel to Bagger Vance. The life, the life, <laughs> well, the life was, lessons from Bagger Vance. I was, I was about to offer that. I, I suspect Joe's, Jay's going away from here with more ideas than he came in with. Oh, well, brother, when, that. when you do write that book, Jay, <laughs> yeah. nothing copyright in here. It's all yours. Oh, but brother, but at least, forward, at, at so, least so, kind so. of a tribute, you know, mention part nah, of myself nah, when you write nah, this book. You guys are doing the forwards. You're, you're, you're in, in ink in that book. Jay, this has just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Of course, guys. Before we let you go, how sure. can people get a hold of you? You know, I'm, I'm, what do they say? I'm easy to find, hard to catch, but no, guys. I, yeah. I'd love for you to visit us at our, our nonprofit site, phoenixleadership.org. Phoenixleadership.org. Uh, we're all over social media. So with Twitter and Facebook, Facebook's Phoenix Leadership Foundation. On Twitter, it's Phoenix Leaders. And yes, we are what I call leading a movement, a radical movement, a common sense by common people. And uh, we will make a difference because we must. And so, yeah, it's all about exposure, and that's where we start. Thank you again, Jay. Thank you so much, guys. It's been great. From our guest, Jay Bailey, from my co-host, Todd Schnick, from myself, Gareth Young, thank you for joining us. Go and see if you could play with the metaphor of golf and come in with oh, original bro, I'm ideas. Go, to I'm about to go play around and just think on it. This go find fantastic. that authentic swing. <laughs> go guys. find that authentic swing and come join us again next time. I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Bye now. You have been listening to A New Business Mindset, a radio show about the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy in business catch other great conversations and to learn more about the show, please visit us on newbusinessmindset.com. If you liked what you heard and to really help us out, it'd be great if you'd visit and leave a review on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. A new business mindset will return next week.